you're about to listen to Meeting the Audience and Myself, a singer's search for reflection through music by Anna Thunström. In what way can I meet my audience? And what happens when I take music, usually performed in churches, and move it to a new context? How can I create and use immersive music experiences as a tool for reflection? And in what way can I use lyrics as a starting point? These are some of the questions that I have been thinking about over the course of my Masters in Contemporary Performative Arts. My name is Anna Thunström, I'm a classical singer, and I'm going to talk to you about my artistic research project that I have been investigating during two years in the Academy of Music and Drama in Gothenburg. But in order to talk about my research and where I am today, I first have to talk about where I come from. I'll start it off by playing you this. You just heard Sebenor non scopra el foco by Bartolomeo Tromboncino. But more importantly, you have just heard the singing of soprano Emma Kirkby. For as long as I can remember, the sound of her voice has mesmerized me. I love how crystal clear it is and how she seems to sing with such ease. When I discovered that people sometimes found my voice to be similar to hers, I thought of it as the greatest compliment I could ever receive. She's an expert on Renaissance and Baroque music, which is usually referred to as early music, and I have always been very fond of that particular sound. From an early age, she has been my idol and my role model. When I was young, I was very shy. I liked to sing, but I didn't dare to in school, because I didn't feel safe enough. 
I was afraid of being noticed and maybe judged, and I think I made myself pretty invisible. But when I was ten, I asked my mum if I could sing in the girls' choir of Uppsala Cathedral. We lived in a small town just outside of the city, so I learned how to, on my own, take the bus to the city and walk alone to the rehearsal venue. It was a big step for me, and there I finally dared to use my voice. But in school I was still struggling, trying to find out who I was. So for me, the chance to change school to study music in Uppsala when I was 16 was an opportunity to start over and try again. I soon discovered that I was quite unusual, because I liked singing classical music, and I happened to be good at it. Most of the other singers preferred musical theatre and jazz. So within just a few weeks, I had found my identity. I was the girl who sings classical music. And it was a great feeling. It became my value, like I was finally worth something by singing this type of music. I felt really appreciated, and I stood out from the crowd in a positive way. And I think this is how I built my self-worth on the fact that I was a classical singer. But after I graduated from that school, I moved away from home to study at a folk high school. There, there were loads of singers who also specialised in this. They were as good, or even better, than I was, and the self-esteem I had found earlier just dropped. Who was I now? I soon realised that I didn't enjoy practising as much as the other singers seemed to. I often felt vulnerable and alone whenever I was in a practice room on my own. I would stand in there and judge every note that came out of my mouth. I was uncomfortable being overheard when I tried to learn a new aria. I thought the other students might listen and think, what on earth is she doing? This way of thinking stretched to concerts as well. The audience mostly consisted of teachers and students, fellow classical singers. For me, they became the judges of whether I sang well or not whether I was good enough or not. I believe that's when I started to see the audience as my enemy, or at least as my judges. Later on, when I went to study at the Music Academy, this became even more of a problem for me. My singing teacher had the habit of pointing out the things I didn't do well and didn't often give me positive comments. I think it was supposed to be a way of spurring me on, making me think that I could do even better. But unfortunately, that type of reverse psychology didn't really work on me. It just affected my self-esteem. I still remember one concert specifically. Before the concert, there was a little mishap, and I had to improvise an introduction for the audience so the musician would have a chance to get ready. The music was quite challenging, so we had practiced it a lot. But the intro speech that I had to give was completely improvised in the moment. The concert itself went really well. I was so pleased with my singing. My teacher, who had been sitting in the audience, came up to me afterwards 
and the only thing that was said was, It's a shame you don't talk as well as you sing. Maybe it was meant as a sort of backwards compliment, but comments like those really coloured me and emphasised the idea of how the audience and the enemy could be the same thing. I was trying to be good enough for them and good enough for myself. Towards the end of my studies, I bumped into someone who used to study music at another academy but had dropped out. He told me that he had stopped playing when he realised that he didn't think it was fun anymore. That he started to play because he used to really like it. And that he felt like he needed to stop studying music to find the joy of it again. What he said really resonated in me. And I remember asking myself when I had last thought singing was fun. So as a reaction to this, I started a band playing songs I had written because it was fun. And for my last term in the music academy, I decided to specialize in early music, the type of music that made me want to sing in the first place. I will now play you an example from this time. Stefano Bernardi's O Dolcissima Dilecta Mia.
after I graduated from the music academy, I moved to London. I moved because I felt I needed a little break and for the chance to study an acting course and learn more English. I thought I would only stay for a few months. So I didn't move to study singing. But right before I moved, I happened to get hold of the email address of my idol, Emma Kirkby. I knew she lived in London, so I sent her an email on the off chance that she would reply, asking if I could see her to take a singing lesson. I don't know what I expected, but when she replied and said, Of course, you're welcome to come to my house, I couldn't believe it. I felt both lucky and scared. So on a spring day in 2012, I knocked on her door and she opened. It was the lady whom I've always admired. I'd always wanted to be able to sing the way she does. I can't remember ever being starstruck before. It took a while for me to settle, to take my music scores out of my bag and to sing in front of her. But I did it, and I didn't feel judged, only appreciated. After the singing lesson, she said that I should dive deeper into early music, because she thought it really suited my voice. She recommended me to send an email to the Lute Society and ask if anyone there was interested in teaming up with me. I had no clue what the Lute Society was, and I wasn't sure I had ever heard a lute before. Not played live, anyway. So I was quite clueless. But Emma made me feel like I could do this. I felt seen, and encouraged to spend time exploring the kind of music I have always enjoyed. So, because it was Emma who suggested this, I did email the Lute Society and soon after found a lutenist to collaborate with, Wesley Elliott. Wesley and I formed a duo, and together we started to explore the world of lute songs from the English Renaissance. We rehearsed a lot, and this was something that I for the first time found really enjoyable. I think it was because I wasn't alone. I was with a friend, and my focus was on the discovery of the music, not on the quality of my singing. We had lots of fun and spent hours trying to decipher the music scores, which most of the times were facsimiles, which is music copied straight out of the books from the Renaissance. They look quite a lot different from the music scores I had grown up reading, so that was quite challenging. We also talked about the texts of the songs, what they could mean and how to interpret them in our own way. I think the texts became more important to me than before, because they were in a language that I understood. Before I had often sung in German, Italian or Latin, but these texts were in English and they meant something to me without needing translations. We could talk about the core of the lyrics without any detours, which I noticed I truly enjoyed. Wesley and I started putting together concerts and playing in churches around London. Fairly soon after we met, we had the opportunity to audition 
for the Brighton Early Music Festival, to participate in a workshop and a concert, sharing the stage with Emma and two other duos. We were successful in the audition, and all of a sudden we were performing with my role model. This was meant to be a one-off performance, to give young duos a chance to play for a bigger audience. The singer that people came to hear was of course Emma, but we got as much space as her in the concert, so it was a great collaboration. Everyone involved loved the idea of a group of singers and lutenists, led by Emma. And this is how the group Dowland Works was born. And I was a part of this group. A typical concert used to consist of a few singers and lutenists, including Emma and a professional lutenist. We often sang in churches, and mostly performed music from the English Renaissance. Emma used to talk to the audience in between songs. She knew an incredible amount about the music, the composers and the historical context. So she would often share what she knew with the audience. There's a whole world of knowledge around this type of music, and the history is very much present. The history affects how the music is performed. This is usually referred to as historically informed practice. The Oxford Dictionary of Music explains it as Practice of music making aimed at authenticity, or fidelity to the circumstances of a work's original performance, and it is thereby assumed the composer's intentions. Basically, it means the striving to perform music the way it's believed it was performed back then, and according to the intention of the composer. During these concerts, I was trying to be the best singer I could possibly be, singing the songs as authentically as I could. I often thought that the audience knew more about how this music was supposed to be performed than I did. In my eyes, they were the experts. I guess I was thinking too much as I tried my best to live up to what I thought the audience expected from me. Something's going on in the audience, at the back of the church. People are moving and talking. I'm just about to sing Come Heavy Sleep, the song I've been most nervous about for this concert. It's one of the most difficult songs for me to sing, because of its long phrases. And I know that it's a favourite for many people, so I need to sing this well. I'm ready but I'm asked to wait. Something's wrong. I'm told that an old lady in the audience has collapsed and that we need to hold the performance until the ambulance arrives. We are asked to remain seated and just wait. I'm trying to stay present and focused on my task, but the situation is so distressing and I can feel my body responding to the gravity of it. My heart is pounding, and I feel so sorry for the lady and her family.
Is she dying? I've never faced mortality this way before. And I'm supposed to just sit here? Finally, the paramedics come and take care of the situation. They take the lady out and the audience settle. And now we're supposed to start the concert again. It's my turn to sing. I can't sing a song about wanting death to come. Not now. Wesley looks at me and asks if I'm okay. I'm not sure, but I have to nod. I start to sing. I have no control over my voice. I have to breathe constantly and my voice is shaking. Every word is a challenge. I don't recognize the way I sing, but at least I'm making sounds. Somehow, I manage to get through the song, and then all I have to do is to listen to the others until the interval. During the break, a man from the audience comes up to me. He asks me if I had been affected by the situation and the words. I have to confess, I couldn't control my voice. He says that he has heard this song being performed many times before, but never like this. And he thanks me for that.
In Dowland Works, it wasn't just Emma who knew a lot. Everyone in the group seemed to be extremely well informed when it came to the historical context. They all contributed with facts and trivia about it. Emma was like a living lexicon, and the others weren't far behind, as far as I could tell. But I never joined into this ongoing conversation. Sometimes I wondered why I never contributed to the knowledge in the group. I mean, I guess I could quite easily find out facts about the history of the music if I searched for it. So why wasn't I? The situation in the church with the lady that collapsed had made me think. Not every audience member wanted to hear the music performed the way they've always had heard it. The collapse had affected me a lot, and made the lyrics of the song dictate the way I could perform it. The words of the song took over the performance of it, and at least one of the audience members thought that was a good thing. I started to think that maybe the simple explanation of why I didn't know that much about the historical context of the music was because I didn't care enough about it. I couldn't relate to the history of the music, but I could relate to the emotions described by the words in the songs. It was the words I cared about. Because when I think about it, I believe one of the main reasons I fell so much for the English lute songs was the lyrics. They just went straight to my heart. They convey such strong emotions, and the texts are so powerful when combined with the music. I often feel like the lyrics could be straight out of a diary or a conversation with a close friend. And I knew that the composers often wrote the lyrics based on their own experiences, which made them even more relatable to me. The songs express so much of the same feelings that people still have today. So in a way you can say that there's nothing historical about the lyrics, or at least the feelings behind them. They are as current today as they've ever been, which is something I would come to discover more and more. I'm sitting in a beautiful room. Large windows on the walls display the rural and green English countryside outside. I'm looking at the cows, wandering slowly in the field below. The sun is shining, and I'm thinking I should go out there and spend some time in the nature. Say hello to the cows, and let the sun warm my face. It's May, and I can feel the summer waiting around the corner. I would really like to go outside. I could really do with stepping outside. All of a sudden, I realise I have stopped paying attention to what is happening in this room. I have spent a long time gazing out of the window, and I have not listened to what has been said. I force myself to return my focus to the ongoing workshop. I put on my listening face and hope no one has noticed that I had left the room for a while. They are talking about how to pronounce a certain word, where to place it in the mouth. 
The woman whose turn it is to sing is sitting down on a chair in front of us, the audience. She has a lutenist next to her, and the teacher is wandering around in the space, trying to communicate what she means. The singer tries to follow her instructions. The words they're working on are Eyes look no more, for what have all the earth that's worth the sight? I find the words haunting and beautiful. I'm fascinated by this song that I've never heard before. I want to know more about the words and the emotions behind them. The teacher is an absolute expert in this field. I want to learn as much as possible from her. And I am myself embarking on a career in this musical context. And I was the one who decided to attend these workshops on the English countryside. But I have just found myself wishing to be outside this classroom, not in it. I feel very confused. I start to think of why I wasn't listening, and how I'd like to listen, if it was up to me. I realise I don't really care about where the words should be placed in the mouth. I realise I would really like to focus on the melancholy in the lyrics. I realise I don't really want to sit on a chair with my listening face strapped on as a mask. I realise I would really like to lie down and listen. The workshop is over and I stand up with my new thoughts. I don't talk to anyone. My head is buzzing and I feel overwhelmed. I quickly eat my lunch and head out to talk to the cows.
I still remember how I felt that day. I felt confused and excited at the same time. I was embarrassed over the way that I had checked out when they were discussing singing technique. I had always tried to be a good technical singer. And good technique could perhaps make the words clearer and easier for an audience to understand. But I started to wonder if the feelings behind the words needed more than just clarity to really be conveyed. I have always loved the sound of the lute songs, and I wanted to be able to share that particular musical atmosphere. So I didn't want to experiment too much with vocal techniques. Instead I wanted to investigate how the feelings from the lyrics could affect my voice because I had realized how much the melancholy in them had moved me, and how much I enjoyed being moved. Here I had found a starting point, an idea of a performance that was quite far from the concerts I usually performed in. I wanted to create a performance where the lyrics were the main focus, and I wanted to give myself a chance to really sing with all my emotions, without censoring myself. I decided to base the performance on the theme of melancholy, because those songs were the ones that really made me feel. I could relate to the sorrow that was described, and I felt an urge to give that sadness a voice. This is your invitation to allow yourself to feel, to lie down, relax and listen, to cleanse, drift and meditate. To forget about yourself. To connect with yourself. These were the words you could read about my performance in Darkness Let Me Dwell that I put on in an arts venue in London about a year and a half after I had left to talk to the cows. I had bought blankets and cushions for people to lie on and borrowed fairy lights so they could create a calm atmosphere. I had put together a program of music filled with sad lute songs and I was ready to try my idea. I had previously experienced that it was difficult to get some of my friends to come and hear me sing. They said that they'd rather not go to church concerts because they didn't really feel at ease in that setting. So when they had a chance to go to an arts venue instead, I got a whole new audience. The fact that they would lie down and listen seemed to be something that people liked and made them open to listen to music they didn't know much about before. I enjoyed performing in Darkness Let Me Dwell a lot. I really had fun and I got very positive feedback from the audience afterwards. I had chosen not to say much about my intentions behind the concept of In Darkness Let Me Dwell beforehand, but after the performance the audience could choose to read about it in the programme. This is what it said. I have been thinking a lot about how much time we spend on social media, sharing our happy moments with friends and strangers. I wonder where our feelings of sadness and melancholy get their outlet. Do we postpone those feelings, to only allow them when we have time for them? And if so, when do we take that time, living in such a busy world? I created In Darkness Let Me Dwell with the hope of making that space, 
not necessarily for you to dwell in dark thoughts, but to give you time to meditate, to feel. It doesn't matter if you listen to the words or not, if you drifted away and almost fell asleep. My only hope is that you had your own personal experience. My intention for the performance was for people to stop for a while to reconnect with themselves, either through melancholy or by just lying down for a moment. I had lived in London for almost four years now, and I had noticed how stressed people seemed. Rushing from one place to another, no one had time to feel anything, especially not bad feelings. I hoped that lying down whilst listening to music about sorrow and grief would stop people in their tracks and give them some time to reflect. I also hoped that they would enjoy hearing Renaissance music performed in a setting that they felt at ease in. And I was also finally at ease. When I met the audience after the performance, I recognised that my feelings towards them were different. I could at last see them as my equals. I think it had to do with the fact that I changed the context. There were suddenly no rules to relate to, and I finally felt free enough to allow myself to interpret the music as I wanted to, with the lyrics as my starting point. There was one member of the audience who came up to me afterwards, and he said something that I would really cherish. He said, I've never heard this music in this way before. You only ever hear this type of music sounding pretty, not with feeling. But you had so much feeling in your voice. I think you can change how people experience this music. The reason why I can quote this very precisely is because it made me so excited I had to write it down. This was something I wanted to do. I wanted to change how people experience this music. And I wanted to do it with feelings. I had always loved early music because of how pretty it sounds. But I didn't only want to sing it in a pretty way. I wanted to sing with feeling. This is when I figured out that I had a creative side of me that I needed to embrace. I needed to continue to explore more ways of connecting. With the lyrics. With the audience. And with myself.
This was a recording from the last concert I did with Dowland Works. Me and Emma singing the duet Intenrite voi lagrime mea by Angelo Notari. Two days later, I moved back to Sweden to start studying at the master's programme Contemporary Performative Arts. Now you know my background.